The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Blessed are those who mourn. I think if you look at a contemporary translation, it's going to say, happy are those, or it's good for you, and that kind of thing. And, and, and that's got to be one of those emotions that we just absolutely avoid. Right? I mean, that's just not something we decide to do. Let me go mourn for a while. That'll be good for me. That is not good for me. I remember uh, probably my first deep sense of mourning, and it lasted for years, was a, was a sense of a disconnect or somebody that I thought I was connected to, or at least wanted to be deeply connected to. Yeah, as a younger boy, uh, I was raised in a Roman Catholic tradition, and I loved it. And I loved it, I loved it all. I loved the the smock, I love the beads, I love the incense, the candles, you know, I love the way that my shoes sort of echoed as I walked in the, this church, you know, I love the candles, like a blowing choir, and I love the music, and I, I, I learned the Mass in Latin, I mean, I, the English uh, abomination, but, you know, was Vatican II, but they thought it was a better idea, so, uh, you know, we're back to tradition, and, and I was serving as an altar boy, um, because of my lack of of uh, athletic prowess, uh, the heroes that I had in my life were, were priests, and we had a couple of great guys who were investing in us as young boys and, and, and taking care of us. And, and, you know, any of you have to manage junior high school boys or elementary school boys, you know what a challenge that can be. So um, they were my heroes, and, and they were good men. And I remember drinking one one particular mass. I mean, I was at six a.m. 6 a.m. Mass. Oh, I love to serve. It's early in the morning. It's sort of like set the day for me. And I recall one scene, Father Seaman, as he was serving in you know, Mass. And that, and this is, that is the epitome of manhood. The guy that helps people connect with God. And that's, that was my goal. And so when the opportunity came to consider entering the priesthood, I leaped the opportunity. And so one weekend, uh, we were looking at a seminary in Dominguez Hills. Um, and... Uh, you know, as I told you before, I'm that guy that if you say don't do something, that's all I want to do. I mean, I can't think of anything else better, you know, that would be more exciting and maybe even sensually, you know, stealing and, you know, just like subversive, you know, and, uh, I, I want to go to that. Uh, <laughs> so we were getting a tour of the grounds, and, you know, you gotta understand this for a, a kid like myself, this was like walking to spiritual Disneyland, you know, the statue, the paintings, you know. I was one of those guys, because of input, I collected everything, you know, cars and scapulas and rosaries, and I was into it, right? Um, so we go to the gymnasium area, as we're, you know, sharing with what was going to happen over the weekend, you know, exploring the opportunity and rolling in there. And, and they said, oh, by the way, stay off the track, especially don't sit on <laughs> And I'm telling you, man, I was just waiting for the free time. When it's free time, when it's free time, I was looking at my little Timex watch, you know, when it's free time, when it's free time. So I I was going to get to the trapeze. Because it seems stupid to me. Why not sit on the trapeze? If you hang on the trapeze, if you swing on the trapeze, why can't you sit on the trapeze? It's the same weight, right? So, you know, uh, and by the way, this is, how many of you enjoy going to movies? There's a point to the story. I'll go back to the 
It's just that I'm, I'm randomly firing in my head. Something like little thought. So I thought I'd share. Uh, how many of you enjoy going to the movies during the day when people are at work? Isn't that better? It's like you're. It's like it's again subversive. You know, you you should be at something. There are sometimes because of the territory job that I have, I'm out during the lunch time and I'm in between clients. It's maddening pricing. <laughs> I get a single discount. You know, so there's no difference. So, so we had some free time, I don't know, half hour, an hour, open the door of the two days and you know, it's like walking into a sanctuary almost, you know, like the trapeze hung there and it was starting to twinkle. And, you know, I was I was like intoxicated with this notion. And then I, I climbed up and, and I sat on the trapeze. And I was just just enjoying that moment they're sitting, swinging. And then I was caught. Get off the trapeze, what are you doing? That's how they talk, apparently. You know, they do that. And, and so I, as, I, as I jumped down, it just dawned on me. I'm surrounded by everything that matters to me in terms of what I thought was my connected to God. You know, morning vespers, prayers, times of, of confession, times of deep soul reflection, looking to connect. We were dressed in mock all day long. I mean, I loved what I was doing, and then I thought to me that I cannot connect to God. One simple rule, and I can't even keep that. And I remember going into a moment of mourning, thinking, if I can't make it here at seminary, I'm not going to make it out there where they encourage you not to connect with God. And I, I just thought, man, I'm, I'm hopeless. You know, it was a kind of a constant delay, but I know that as I look back at it, it defined my life for many, many years. And I stopped going to Mass. I just, just wasn't, what's the point? You know? And I went into that place in the morning thinking that I would never be or never have what I truly, truly wanted. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is teaching a crowd of people, his early followers and disciples, what it means to begin to connect with God. Now there are some folks, and I think you one of them, that, that see these verses as a process that people can go through. They're stages. They're not just ideals to live out, but they're actually can be stages that a person goes through in their spiritual journeys. So let me read them all to you, and then we'll focus on uh, five, four this morning. And when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn. You know, what, what you mourn defines what you value, right? I mean, what, what you consider a loss, and what you feel you lost, and when you feel that sense of loss, it, 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 it tells everybody, and it really should be telling you what matters to you. So when folks are 
are deeply distressed, and I'm not minimizing anybody's pain, but when folks are deeply distressed, distressed, uh, distressed over uh, relationships that went south, finances that have seemed to disappear, I think you guys noticed you lost 50% on paper, which you thought you were worth, right? And you were mourning that. <laughs> I used to be rich. And now I'm just middle class, you know. And, um, Homes, loved ones, um, a car, clothes, which I understand. And, uh, <laughs> you know, when you lose something that, that matters to you, that you value, you're going to go in the morning. And so, a good indication of where you are as a person, and what matters to you, what you value, is what you mourn over. And then there's times when folks mourn over their own losses, their own personal losses of what. Right. See, when you're in your 20s, you know, there's, there really is very little you can do. I mean, you have to be focused to screw up so badly, intentionally, to, to, to ruin your life forever. I mean, it's possible, but most of us are just too lazy to do that. Most of us in our 20s do make mistakes, we're careless with our lives. We mismanage resources, we mismanage ourselves, and, 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 and you realize that you've lost some time. You mismanage perhaps your, your career path, your educational goals, whatever, and you just, oh man. But I'm telling you, if there's very little that can happen in your 20s that you can't make up for in your 30s, 40s, and 50s. But as time moves on, you know, the benefit of time is, is not in your favor. Now, God is able to do miraculous things, but you can't count on Him cleaning up your messes. Well, I got time. And besides, when I get serious about God, let's make it all right anyways. You know, often, often, in God's kindness, He does minimize the consequences of our dumb decisions, but that's not something that we can just rely on. Like, oh, you know, I'm not going to screw up royally, but, you know, God's a catch. So sometimes you mourn stuff that, that seems to be really irrevocable and it's often not. I tell you what I do know also about mourning is that it, it does take a moment of, of, of character traits to kick in. And the first one is honesty. See, when Jesus said, let's go the poor in spirit, for a person to get there, it's a simple concept, but getting there is incredibly hard in many cases. In fact, I'll tell you a secret, and now I guess it won't be because it's being recorded. I, I think most people, even people who are consider themselves committed followers of Jesus Christ, and that, that's their ones are identifiers, I think we repent so little in our lives. We have maybe one or two powerful modes of repentance, and after that, we just regret some of our dumb decisions. Usually the first turn someone makes is when they decide to commit themselves to following God. Right? And they make a second turn to Christ. And usually it's that those moments of being in the process who they are as individuals. And for some of us, we never really ever want to see all that we are. I remember that moment in my uh, 30s Recognizing that was just so violent and so out of control. I mean, I didn't even trust myself with myself. 
And, and, and I had heard it, I had taught it, I had shared it, I wrote about it, that, that God loves people and forgives their crimes. But it was if I heard it for the first time when Frank shared it with me, and it, I found that I broke, and I had kind of repented of that. That so controlled my life, and it was like, how many of you ever garden, you go outside and you pull weeds, you pull something, you ever hear those I'm going to come and leave it. Oh, awesome. The, the two of us. So, 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 so you know how that's like. Never going to come here again. Right? <laughs> uh, you, know those, you know how roots can, can embed themselves into, into the garden? You pull it out, there's that yanking sound and that horrible, but it's so embedded into the soil, right? It's almost hard to take off the soil from the root, but if you don't take that thing by the root, it's just going to come back. And so I found that that was that first time that I felt that I think it finally been yanked out of me, but it did leave a gap. I mean, it wasn't as if there was this painless process. Because after that was, I knew that it had been broken and lost, but, you know, it had been finally done in my life. Then there was another moment in the morning, and the years that were lost. And the man I could have been during that time. And so it was a, that moment of honesty also takes courage to step into a moment of mourning. I mean, why would you want to go to a place that's painful? Where you don't know the outcome. You don't know the results. It's not comfortable. It doesn't feel good at any level. Why would you step into that moment? Unless you have the courage to believe that God said to us is actually true. That you will be comforted at the end. I think there's something even embarrassing about that. It's admitting a place of weakness, of wrong decisions, of mistakes that you made. You were foolish, you were ignorant, you were obstinate and stubborn. And you chose not to be a person you could be. And then when you realize that you have lost so much, and you step, you know, it's almost like I'm alive, you know, you back away from the point. It's hard to remember how many times I've told folks when they're processing a relationship or, or, or a decision or an issue and they want, it, they want to make it work, you know? Yeah. Have any of you ever found a, a bird that's not doing so well on the ground? You know, you get the eyes off and you're trying to feed it. Come on, baby. Not on my watch. What? <laughs> <laughs> You're trying to, trying to breathe, breathe life into something that's dead. Sometimes, really, the only thing to do, the wise thing to do, the healthy thing to do, is just more loss. This is not good. This is dead. I'm trying to breathe life into something that's not breathing life into me. And I'm trying to keep something alive that's actually killing me. You need just more the loss than you want. And I know for, for some folks it's like, uh, see, this is the thing. Some of us just refuse to mourn. See, yeah, and you know what? I also know this about some of you who do that. That if you were injured in any other way, if you were cut, if you had a broken arm, if you were damaged in some significant way, you wouldn't actually go through that with But when the soul is damaged and when there's pain, when there's an emotional distress, you do that. I figure it's not possible. You can pull back and just refuse to mourn. 
And you live in a moment of dishonesty that's beginning to define you. And you're beginning to move away not only from courage, but you're actually moving away from confidence. It is, this is, I, I may seem odd, but it's a courageous thing to mourn. To know that there's an end to it. Closure, I don't know what you want to call it. But it's the closure of comfort that God gives. It's not the sake of mourning just to be this modeling person who weeps. A sad person who's always defining themselves by their sorrow. But unless a person mourns, there is no comfort. You have to start. And it takes courage. And, and courage is not the absence of the fear of the thing. It's just really the absence of you. That this matters more than what I want to prefer. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There's a time for everything. And there's a season for every activity under the sun, under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. There's a time to kill, a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. For the person who refuses to start mourning, or for the person who refuses to stop mourning, both are unhealthy, by the way. It's not that one is better than the other, both are unhealthy, because the process is understanding where the poverty, spiritual poverty, is in your life. Mourning the loss, being comforted, moving on. Men, women, kids. Yeah, I don't think... I don't think we're comfortable with people mourning, are you? I mean, you ever find yourself in those places at funerals you don't know what to say? You don't know how to manage all people's grief? You tell somebody. Because we want to say the thing that's going to make them stop mourning. And in many cases, that, that process cannot be short-circuited. Because here's what I have. That will never be short-circuited. It will continue if you don't allow to run normal health. I also know that, that communities and friendships can be the most powerful uh, aspect of that thing. In fact, let's go to Romans 12.15. Let me show you what I mean. Romans 12.15. Paul has taken the time to explain and define an important theological lesson, but as Paul does, he always gives out some practical applications of what that means and worked out in people's person's life. So in chapter 12, he says here, verse 15, uh, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who Mourn. Let's go over up to Galatians 6 2, just a moment as well. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Carry each other's burden, and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. And if you drop down to verse 5, for each one should carry his own load. There's a, there's a responsibility we have as, as human beings to, to carry our load, manage our lives. But I also know that sometimes life becomes so overwhelming. But there's so many hits. You just can't take it. And you really can't take 
You just can't take any more bad news. Maybe it starts with a job loss, a huge financial reversal. And for most men, we begin to question ourselves. Do I have what it takes to manage to take care of my family? Maybe it's a relationship. Uh, maybe it's a, you're realizing there's a character trait that keeps coming up over and over again. It's preventing you from hitting your, your mark and being the best you could be. Maybe it's just a, it's just a compound of things that just keep hitting over and over, and you're going through a period where it seems like you just can't take another set of bad news. It's at this time that Paul says, as a community, in your small group, your friends, help you carry your burden. It's not the idea of removing your responsibility from your life. It's just the idea of helping you process through that season. But he does tell us we each one of us to carry our load because we, we do have stuff that just happens to us. The folks who refuse to stop or refuse to start are going to be unhealthy no matter what they do. It just will color everything that they do. Now, there's another portion of this uh, helping and caring. It, it shows up in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Let's see here. Before I read let me stop for a second and say this. Here's what's funny I noticed about our lives and what God does in our lives. You're going to see this. This is the most weird, dark mess that you seem to come out of or you're stepping out of. You're not being an expert in it. And you can spot it with other people. Where are you? Addicts know addicts. Compulsive people know compulsive people. Greedy people know greedy people. You just, you just, you can, you can even a little smell it out. I remember uh, spent some years helping out with uh, the sheriffs in Norwalk and Whittier here, and there was, always, there was just a certain Okay, people smell and they're depending on their activity. I'm not talking about poor hygiene, right? Because you could just tell them it's bad. Right? That's loose. Oh, okay, that's hot. Everyone's hot, you know. Is that a real? No, it's hot. But that's your mom, she doesn't actually what you're doing first. No, that's hot. I remember that from college. Since <laughs> <laughs> me, I think. You know, and uh, what's funny is that when you get comfort you, out of your pain and out of your mess because you mourned it properly, you mourned it in a healthy way. You mourned it almost as, this is the thing that's hard for us. You've almost mourned it as a kid. I think when Jesus talks about us as children, that's what the kingdom of God is like. And those of you who have, who have parents or maybe you manage children, you're a teacher, or you have nieces and nephews. You know those times when, when they break something and, and they come to you to fix it? Right? Uh, a boat can fix it, you know. Learn to talk properly. <laughs> then I'll fix it. Yeah. Listen, I'm joking, obviously, because that's what God does. I think we expect our heavenly father to sometimes be like our earthly father. Because you've heard those remarks from your dads. Or maybe the people that had charge of you, like, Jim? Jim, you can't live with that anymore. What do you do with this? Yeah. That, that is never our father in heaven. Never. It's never him. But we've so projected some of our weird dad issues with that we've processed onto him. We just assume he's just a bigger, more powerful version of this person that wasn't so good. This person down here is a shadow, an echo, maybe a poor one, 
the Father in Heaven. That's why I love that title, Heavenly Father. It's not just a theological nicety, it's a powerful reality. Heaven, Father, the Father in Heaven, the Father who would love, care, protect, guide, cherish, adore His children, but in Heaven. The ability, infallibility, power, loving, all all that looks good about supreme beings, and He's our Father. And this is the way He chooses to identify Himself to us. I'm your dad, who loves you. Alright, I still wanted to say this, is that when we've gone through those moments of mourning and are comforted, here's the strange, redemptive value of all of that. It's, It's almost God taking what is the worst of us to express His goodness to other people. So that they understand a bit more who he is. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse three. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Isn't that amazing? We we. He's all in. This magnificent, beautiful being. He gets us. He thinks he's getting a good deal. Let's not tell him otherwise. I'm going to so infuse you with my health and my life that you're going to actually be a channel of living water to other people who are thirsty. And wondering if there's any comfort. And you're going to share the comfort I've given you to others. And it's actually going to, in that process, it'll bring you health to you as well. Yeah. I'm not encouraging us to sit around here and have a big bladder, a big blubber fest, you know. But I am encouraging you to realize that there's healthy nothing that ends in comfort with God, who makes you whole through the process. And so this is why a person can enter a period of mourning and they can stop. It's not meant to go on forever. It's not meant to destroy you and mark you. It's meant to drive you to God, to comfort you. I'm going to read another passage that I've shared with some friends recently. and, and, and um, It's one of the kindest things I've heard once spoken to me. Some of you need to hear this from me. He has no plans to harm you. You are safe with him. If there's anybody who exists that you're safe with, it's your father and heaven. See, I there is no deal breaker. There's nothing you can tell him. And he would say, Oh my god, I didn't know that much. Sometimes your parents are not safe. Sometimes your friends are not safe. Sometimes even the spiritual community you're involved in is not safe. But you are absolutely safe with God. So I want you to hear his words to you. Jeremiah chapter 29. Verse 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then when you experience that, then you'll call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart and I will be found by you. See, 
funny thing is, is that God's not really playing people. He's not hiding. You know, if there's a secret to the universe, is that God can be found. When he asks us, he tells us to seek me and you will find me. Look for me. I, I'm, I'm not hiding. I'm as far away from you as a bird in your mouth. That's not, he's not teasing. He's telling. This is how close I am. And if you will invite me into your life, I will be forever connected to you. Forever connected to you. So I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. And so for you, I have a great plan for you. You can find out what I'm talking about. I'm one of those medical dental cowards. Uh, I don't mind pain. As long as I inflict it on myself, I just don't want someone else to do it. I think every doctor and dentist essentially is a criminal. That's why they wear masks, right? So they won't get identified later in the lineup. I don't know. He's got his eye, but he was wearing a mask. It's our bank robber, just only with a smock. <laughs> and then they wear that little thing that says MD or something, right? Me, doctor. Like, uh. <laughs> I've actually walked out of a dental office. It was, I felt like I was being strapped to the torture chamber. I mean, was, I sat down, there was bright lights, and people around me didn't know what information. And I don't know. Shooting with the tools and the implements of death were swung under my back. And I was big off so they wouldn't get blood and evidence. They would collect it later for the forensic. You know, CSI couldn't help me solve the crime. And I actually said, I, I got to go away from here. Said, oh, what's wrong? No, I just don't want to be here anymore. I, I wasn't even a child. I, mean, I was talking about a grown man. I was in my 40s, you know. And, but I remember taking, I think it was like it was self-medicating, I don't know, like two, three thousand milligrams of ibuprofen every day. Washed it down with gold. Or the, uh, because I was pregnant, all right? I was, uh, and everything, okay, I, either I will die of liver failure or, see, which is worse? Get a transplant. And then, <laughs> then I have to go to the dentist to stop this. Dentist plant, dentist transplant. <laughs> Something to the dentist. They had this missile coming out of my mouth. You, know, I thought, you might feel some pressure. Pressure? Okay. <laughs> Allow me. You know, you're going to tear my soul out in excruciating, mind-numbing pain. Oh, that didn't hurt at all. I once went to the I had a broken. Something happened in my foot. They did the x-rays and everything, and the doctor said, oh, you know, yeah, it's not broken. Oh, awesome. It's just dislocated. I started to back off. <laughs> Dude, you know, I'm just a few years out of jail. Honestly, I don't kick your butt. Don't even try it. I'm, I'm, I'm packing, bro, all right? No, 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 I just need to pull it in a little bit back in place. When you say we, who are you speaking to? Are you got a mouth in your pocket, but I'm not involved in this. And so, this is why I don't trust medical professionals. They're all liars. All liars. They say it won't hurt, they will. So just take a moment and it doesn't. I'm not just visit during the hospital. <laughs> I have a bunch of something to medicate me, like morphine for this, you know, something something mild. Does it come in a cup? You know, I'm drinking it. 
And he said, uh, I'll tell you what to do. Snickering under his breath. I'll leave the room for a second. You collect your thoughts. I'm going to get, I'll get a ego kind of nothing area. Ah, I'm still finding someone who cares. I've been a compassion. Love you. He left the room. Glad my tears. And came back in and said, You know what? The shot's going to hurt as much as me pulling this thing. And so I put it back up again. <laughs> and I was cornered, you know, and I had a gown, so like, I couldn't hide it back off. <laughs> I wish I had a purpose for this moment, but I don't. I wish I had a purpose for Just sit down. I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I, I won't do it to you, ready, but let me just see it. Liar. When they say, let me just see it. Liar. <laughs> so I tentatively, cautiously, trustingly gave him my foot. Oh, yeah, okay, I see her. They distracted me with slide of hand. What's that, a slider? You know, and then, <laughs> <laughs> it was that moment where you don't see color. Yeah, that's much better. <laughs> I don't trust medical professionals. Medical professionals. Is that really a title? <laughs> Is that really a career? Anyway, uh, so let's say this. You can naturally trust God. Your you can absolutely trust him with your scars. You can absolutely trust him with your broken, damage, darkness, evil. You can trust him. And he will comfort you. And he will heal. Because he's the God who is good and cares and is for you. And then join in a moment of prayer. I'm just giving folks who are struggling this morning. And they're afraid to step into that moment with you. So my prayer for you then is that you help them have the courage to step in. They may receive your comfort this morning. Help us to be a good community. Help us to be good friends. Help us to be wise. Sharing the burdens of some folks who care because life has just been too overwhelming. Help us be those who are known by our love and the way we show it and comforting others, sharing the burden, pointing the comfort. Help us have the courage to believe. Blessed are those who are for their recovery. Your son's name. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.